0: us pray. Precious Jesus, I give you praise. Thank you because your word is life. We walk into your word today. We are not going to come in with any preconceptions. We're going to allow your Holy Spirit to show us what you want to show us. We're going to free our minds now and we're going to allow your Holy Spirit to be the only spirit in this place that controls and dominates. Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus Christ, show us the word of God today. Take us into levels that we have never seen before. Let the word that we will hear today, let it be planted in our hearts. Let it bear fruit in our lives. Thank you for grace to preach and grace to hear. Thank you because what will be said and what will be heard will be in line with your will and your desire for us. That which you have planned for us today, we shall walk into it gloriously. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start with a scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 to 23. And I'll be reading mostly from the New Living Translation. But sometimes I'll read from the New King James and sometimes from the Amplified. And I'll be a bit fast because I have a lot to say. But then the Lord will communicate his word to us. 1 Corinthians three twenty-one. So, don't boast about following a particular human leader. For everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life and death. Or the present and the future. Everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. This is quite an audacious statement. Everything belongs to you. Think about that for a second. Everything belongs to you. Life belongs to you. Death belongs to you. I didn't say that. The word of God said that. God values you so much that he gave you everything. Life belongs to you. Death belongs to you. You are obviously God's most important resource. You're God's biggest investment. I mean, I've been thinking about this scripture, and every time I try to wrap my head around it, I don't get the part of life and death belonging to me. You're a big part of God's plan. But we need to note that relationship. The end of that scripture that I just read said that all things belong to you, yeah? In management theory, there's something we call systems thinking. Systems thinking. And in systems thinking, we say that everything is sort of like connected. So in an organization, you can't do something in one part of the company and not expect that that thing will affect the rest of the company. In line with that, we're thinking about organizations being just people coming together, but organizations being like organisms in themselves. In other words, the, the company is actually like a body, like a person. In the same way, that concept of interconnectedness applies to the body of Christ. We are connected We are connected to Christ. And Christ is connected to God. And our connection to Christ is on the basis of all of us being connected to each other. Interconnectedness. Our connection to each other and our connection to the Lord is something that we will never fully grasp. We will never fully understand it. And why do I say so? The Bible says that in Christ, we are one body and we are one spirit. First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we are Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. All have been made to drink into one spirit. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4. There is one spirit, one body, And one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Our connection to each other, I say again, is far stronger than any of us can imagine. And this is the same connection that we have with Christ. We are inseparable from each other. We are connected to each other. And we are connected to Jesus in the same way. We are inseparable. Romans 8 verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also reason. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from what? nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This scripture is a confession I make to myself every time I pray. I always say to the Lord, I say, Lord, my connection to you will outlast this world. And it is true. My connection to the Lord will outlast this world. It is impossible for you to have a lacklustre ordinary, ephemeral relationship with the Lord if you meditate on scriptures like this that remind you that you and the Lord are together in one. So we'll start with that foundation and begin to look at the big picture. This big picture we're talking about is about being interconnected. About all of us working together with the Lord. But you see thinking about our interconnectedness will only make sense when we understand the reason why we are interconnected. A creature, an organism is of very little value to anyone else or to itself even, if the creature doesn't understand the reason why it was made. So if we are connected to the Lord, we will not really enjoy the benefits of that connection unless we understand why that connection even exists. The late Miles Monroe said that uh, when purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable. Great man of God, when purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable. We can't fulfill our purpose if we don't know our purpose. And we will not understand our purpose if we don't understand who we really are and where we come from. We can't fulfill our purpose if we don't know our purpose. We can never know our purpose until we understand who we are and where we come from. And to understand who we are and where we come from, we have to see this big picture that we're talking about. The big picture of being connected to God. The big picture of God's eternal purpose which we are connected to. God's will, God's wisdom, God's love. God's purpose is eternal. It is unchanging. It is manifold. That means it is multi-sided. It is multi-dimensional. And it is full of grace on every side. God's purpose is the reason why he made the church, which is the body of Christ. God's purpose deals with what he wants to do with the church and how he intends for the church to function. And one of those purposes, one of the things that the Lord intended for the church to do was to display his power on the earth, to display his love on the earth, to display his nature, his wisdom upon this earth. What happens when we display God's power on this earth? People get saved, people get healed, people get delivered. When we manifest God's greatness, we will terrify the devil and his cohorts with that display. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9. I'm going to read from the New King James. And it says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This is part of God's purpose for the church. You see, the devil doesn't understand the extent of God's power. Because if he did, he wouldn't have tried to overthrow God. One of the reasons why the Lord made the church was so that the church can teach the devil a lesson and show him God's power. It's a lesson he will not like, but we will teach him anyways. God said that He wanted unseen rulers of this world to know His power through the church. In addition, God intended that the church will grow in a balanced way. The church will reveal His nature of love on the earth to be what we call a biblically functioning community, a spiritually functioning system, a model of the kingdom of God on the earth. And we see this with the early church. They manifested God's purpose for the church, something that we call the five-fold purpose of the church, which are uh, um, requiring, identified first, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to, verse seven, to 47. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, verse 44. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, verse 45. And they sold their possessions and goods, and divided them amongst all as anyone had need, verse 46. So continuing daily in one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So on the first level, we have established that the Lord intended to show his nature, his power to this earth, to the devil, through the church. And then secondly, the Lord intends that the church will grow and the church will demonstrate the love of God amongst themselves. We see the fivefold purpose of the the church there. Verse 47 talks about worship. Verse 42 talks about discipleship or instruction as we call it. Verse 42 and 46 as well talk about fellowship. Verse 47 talk about evangelism. Verse 44 and 45 talk about service or ministry. Five core purpose of the church is that God intends that the church of God should be stronger through worship. We should grow deeper through discipleship. We should grow warmer through fellowship. We should grow larger through evangelism, and we should grow broader through ministry. When you worship the Lord, you grow stronger in him. We should grow deeper in his word and in the things that pertain to him through discipleship. Through discipleship, we will be able to grow in Christ. We should grow warmer through fellowship. We should grow larger through evangelism as many people get saved. And then we should grow broader through ministry. As we do these things, we will continue to grow and we will fulfill God's purpose for the church on the earth. But this thing about God's purpose for the church is a never-ending conversation. And the reason why it is so is because our purpose or the purpose he has destined for us is wrapped up in himself. And God himself is unlimited. What do I mean? God has given us his purpose, but his purpose is wrapped up in him and he is unlimited. Therefore, his purpose for us is unlimited as well. We can talk about it for all eternity and we will not get to the end of it. We understand through various theologians like Maimonides who said that uh, it is impossible for us to fully express God's attributes with human language because human language is limited. Let's leave the theology and come back. What do I mean? How do you say that God is powerful? What does power mean? Power is a human attribute. Like you say, a car is fast. What does fast mean? It can go from zero to 60 in, uh, in four seconds. 60 miles, not kilometers, right? So that's a fast car. We can't say that uh, God is swift or is fast because you'll be thinking about a car when you're trying to make that attribute. So in the same way, his purpose for us that is in him, as we get closer to him, we will begin to see more of it. Some people have said, and I agree with this, that when we get to heaven, our worship of the Lord, every time will be something new that we see about him. We will look at him and we will see something that we've never seen before. And then we will worship him. And then we open our eyes again and we see something else. We have to understand all of these things as we work together. Because we're interconnected to something that is extreme. Something that is unlimited. In the past, in the few times, I thought about a few concepts that will just help us understand this. One of those concepts is the conflict of the ages. And the conflict of the ages is basically the fight between good and evil, between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, between almighty God and now the now-defeated Satan. The bone of contention was that the devil was arguing that it was impossible for any being to submit to the grace of God. Why? God made Lucifer and God gave Lucifer grace. Lucifer did not submit. He wanted to overthrow the Lord and he failed. And then God created man. God created Adam. And God gave Adam grace, put Adam in the garden. And Adam and Eve, they failed when they sinned. But then Jesus Christ came and he settled that argument. He lived under grace. He submitted to the grace of God. The scripture says that even though he were a son, he demonstrated obedience through the things that he suffered. It was a shameful death that he died. And it was part of the grace of God. I don't have enough time to talk about this. Thank God for MP3s and YouTube. Go to our site. You can get a lot of information about all of this. Pastor Carlton has preached about this and we have talked about this several times. Another concept, again, that will help us understand our purpose is the concept of ages and dispensations. What does this mean? Throughout all of humanity, God has worked with mankind in different ways. Ages and dispensations. The word um, ages is aeons or periods of time. Dispensation is economia or economy. Just like if you look at it in the natural uh, realm, you have socialist economies, communist economies, uh, capitalist economies. God worked with man in different ways. He didn't work with man in the same way all through. There are seven of them, depending on how you calculate it. There are seven of them. There's innocence, which is from Adam to the fall, creation to the fall. There's conscience, human government, promise, law, the church, and the kingdom. The sixth dispensation is where we are in this chart. This is where we are. But that's not the end. After that, we're going to have the great tribulation. And depending on who you are, what you believe, rapture will occur before, during, or after. I don't know. (laughs) I'm going for before. That's where I I stand. Post-trib, okay, yeah. We are pre-trib. I don't know about you. You can stay and and watch the tribulation happen. And then there's the seventh one. Why am I saying this? You know, people have said that the dispensation of the church, they call it the dispensation of grace. But it's not true because God in all of these worked with man only on the basis of grace. There was no way that the sacrifice of a ram will, 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 will prevent the wrath of God. It was just grace. The big picture now is how the new man that is now redeemed in Christ individually like me and you and collectively as a church will submit to the grace of God and reflect God's true nature on the earth. That is the big picture. When we are interconnected and we are growing together we will make that happen. All of creation is waiting for this to happen. Romans chapter 8 verse 19 New King James For the annex expectation of the creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. All of creation is waiting for us to show ourselves. There are several dimensions to that revelation of the sons of God. Several dimensions. But I just want to talk about one or two of them today. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 to 6. New Living Translation. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He said, When I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus to stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people to live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things and they spend their time in meaningless discussions you read this, it's almost as if Paul is writing to the church today. Because that's exactly where we are. The body of Christ today seems to have been sidetracked from the main thing. And we're focusing on the peripherals. It's tough enough that we have denominational barriers. But must we go ahead and attack and castigate each other in public? On Facebook and on Twitter. First Peter chapter 4 verse 8. New King James. Above all things, have fervent love, one for another. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Galatians 5, verse 15, King James Version. My favorite for this verse. If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you not be consumed one of another. We're basically doing spiritual cannibalism when we go on Twitter and Facebook and we're talking about each other. Who wins when Christians fight against each other in public? Who wins? Certainly not Jesus Christ. Certainly not the church. There's this story that I'm reminded of an old joke. If you've heard it before, please laugh. A guy was walking on the bridge, and he saw somebody standing on the bridge about to jump over. And he walks up to him and says, hey, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And the guy says, why shouldn't I do it? He said, well, there's so much to live for. He said, like what? He said, are you religious? And the guy says, yes, I am. He said, me, he said, me too, I'm religious as well. Are you a Christian or a Buddhist or... Said, I'm a Christian. Say, wow, me too. I'm a Christian as well. I said, are you Catholic or Protestant? The guy said, Protestant. Say, wow, me too. Are you Episcopalian, Baptist? The guy said, Baptist. Say, wow, me too. <laughs> are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? <laughs> and the guy said, I'm Baptist Church of God. Say, wow, me too. <laughs> are you Original Baptist Church of God or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? <laughs> and the guy on the, on the bridge said, I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God. Say, wow, me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879? Or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? And by this time, the guy who's on the bridge, he's so excited, doesn't want to jump anymore. He says, I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. And the guy who came to save him pushed him up. Die, heretic. See the body of Christ. That's it. You know, it's like a joke, but that is where we are. Peter Meldenius, for those of us who don't speak Latin, was a Lutheran. Theologian, lived between 1582 and 1651. He said, regarding this kind of thing, said, in essentials, let's have unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. Fighting amongst ourselves is not new. It's one of the oldest tricks of the devil. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 to 3. Powerful church, Philippian church. This is Duke Living Translation. I appeal to you, Yodia and Syntyche, please... Because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, I was talking to the rest of the church, to help these two women who have worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Fighting amongst ourselves is not new, but it shouldn't be. The big picture is about walking in love towards one another. And not walking in love is costing us more than we think. It's costing us a lot. First Corinthians chapter 11. And this is Paul now. Talking about communion. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says from verse 26. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ... You are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some of you have even died. You know, communion is one of the most powerful resources we have as believers. Scripture tells us that every time we share communion, we are showing the Lord's death until he comes. It reinforces the power of God that is already at work in us. The devil fears communion because every time we show communion, we are showing him his defeat. But Paul has taught us here that that thing which ought to make us stronger when we do it, if we don't honor the body of Christ, it will make us weaker. In this context, the scripture is not just only talking about the physical body of Christ. It's talking about what we call the mystical body of Christ, the body of Christ, the church. What do we mean? Oh, you need to go to the beginning of that scripture to understand what it means. From verse 17. He says, in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is being done when you meet together. That's First Corinthians eleven 17. First, I hear that there are divisions amongst you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions amongst you so that those of you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you that that which I receive from the Lord. And it talked about how the communion should be. If we read this scripture in context, what Paul was saying in verse 30, that people are dying, people are weak, sick, and dying. Because of the communion. He is talking about how we treat each other in the body of Christ. We do not discern the Lord's body. We don't understand that we are one body. Why would you come in and you dominate? And you prevent your brother and your sister from sharing? Why do we bite and devour one another? Are we both enough to say that walking in love is more superior than manifesting all the gifts of the spirit combined without love? And it's in the scripture. I have a scripture for that. First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 31 says, the New Living Translation, it says, You should earnestly desire the most spiritual gifts, but let me show you a way of life that is best of all. That is love. First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1 to 3. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels and I don't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and I had such faith that I could move mountains and I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave my body to the poor and even sacrificed my body that I could boast about it, but I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. That's the big picture, walking in love towards one another. That's what it is. Understanding that my life is not complete if the other person beside me, my brother, my sister, and the Lord, if that life also is not being blessed. It's about seeing that we have a responsibility to fulfill God's eternal plan on the earth. But we will not do it as individuals. We will do it collectively as a church. You know, we are so privileged in this generation. I know, I know you, you may not realize it, but indeed we are. God reserved us for the last part of the game. We are God's elite force. I know some of us may not agree with it. Look at the body of Christ. now. And I'm like, ah, I don't believe that. You yeah, are God's best. How do I know? Book of Hebrews, chapter 11, talked about the, the people that have gone before us they were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people, they earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet, none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they will not reach perfection without us. And then verse 12 talks about them being a great cloud of witnesses, watching over what, what we're doing. They're in heaven right now and they're just cheering us. And they are hoping and praying and trusting God that we ourselves will fulfill God's plan. We will walk together in love. We will demonstrate God's power. The Bible says that faith works by love. We have to understand that we are not running against each other. Let me read that again from Hebrews 12, verse 1, New Living Translation. It says, therefore, seeing that we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We're not running against each other. We're running with each other. Some of us used to think that that race is each of us. We have a particular race. Indeed, we do. But that race, we are running together. If I get to the finish line without you, we haven't run. It's a generational race being passed on from one generation to the other. How do we run this race? How do we fulfill God's purpose for the church? The first thing we have to do, and I'm speaking specifically about walking in love, is to forgive people around you especially Christians, everyone, but especially Christians, pastors, and churches even, that may have hurt you. Bitterness is not going to do you any good. It will only damage your heart, and it can cause sickness in your life, in case you don't know. I mean, someone told me a long time ago, we were praying for a lady who was healed. She had a problem with her knees, and she couldn't stand. And we were praying for her, and you know, praying for her, and praying for her, and then we realized that prayers weren't going anywhere. And then the person who was praying, who shared this testimony with me, said that he prayed in the spirit, and then the Lord told him, ask her about her husband. And then he asked her about her husband. And she said, well, he's, he's all right. And the Lord told him to tell her to forgive her husband. And then he said, the Lord said, I should tell you to forgive your husband. And she said, never. So you don't know what he did. And I talked about how her family set him up in business. He started, he became big, and then he left her, left the kids and all of those things. And never, 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 never. never. And the Lord told the the, 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 the person who was praying for her to tell her that we have to cross this bridge before you get healed. And he said, if that's the case, that she doesn't want to receive healing. Honestly. And that was where it ended. (laughs) I don't know how much pain you have. Which church has done this for you? I'm not talking to people in High Life Church because there are people that are watching this streaming. You may have been hurt by a pastor, by a church. Let that bitterness go. Forgive them. Let them go. Let them go. The bitterness is not going to do you any good. Lashing out against them as well will not do you any good either. Second thing, protect the body of Christ. Stop criticizing others. Stop celebrating failures. It's amazing how the bad news about the church is what goes around quickly. People are getting healed here every day. People are getting delivered here every day. We are feeding the hungry. We are clothing people. We are housing them. You don't hear that in the news. These city people are in which of them? They don't carry such news. It's not so interesting. It doesn't sell. Church feeds 100 people who haven't had a meal. and They give them jobs. And they would not talk about that. Oh, something has happened in the church about money or some other scandal. And then they pounce on it. Don't help the devil to do his work. Who is the accuser of the brethren? Don't help the devil to do his work. Be magnanimous. What do I mean? The needs of the body are heavy. And the laborers are few. So it is very possible that somewhere, somehow, we may have neglected your needs. Oh, yes. The silence. I know it has to be like that because this is a bit painful. Yes. We may have missed your birthday. We may have missed when someone you love died. We may not have been there for you as we should have been. Believe me, it was not intended in that way at all. And I'm not just talking about High Life Church. I'm talking about churches generally. Don't walk away because... You feel neglected, even if you were neglected. Help us to bless others. And the Lord will reward you for that as well. Kenneth Hagin told a story some time ago about how somebody who just gave their lives to Christ coming to their church, and then the guy got angry and cursed and felt that the Lord didn't love him anymore and stopped coming to church. And then the guy, in the process, I don't know what happened, but he developed some pain in his back so Ken Hagen went over to, the, to his house to minister to him. You know, one of the wanted to pray. The guy was crying that, you know, the Lord doesn't love him, that, uh, you know, he has sinned and everything. And Ken Hagen said, okay. Prayed and said, Lord, please show him that you love him. Heal his back. And then the guy got healed and got restored and was eager to come to church the next Sunday. So, Ken Hagen came back to church. He had one of the deacons say, ha, pastor has gone to see that guy. I have been in this church for 15 years. Pastor, has never come to my house. Rahim told him, look, drop the bottle and give the bottle to the other children. (laughs) You understand that? There are babies in this place that need to be catered for. You've been a Christian for 30 years. Pastor hasn't been to my house. I'm leaving this church. He says, we need to yank out the bottle from some of your mouths and give it to the babies. I understand that it's painful. Look, I'm I'm not glossing over that. We may have done things wrong. When I say we, I'm talking about the body of Christ, the church. Please be magnanimous. Help us to minister to others. I know it's painful. You can even talk about it. And we will pray that the Lord will heal you. But please help us. There's a lot of work to be done. So let it go. Join us and make sure that this doesn't happen to others. I'm speaking specifically here because I know that it has been an issue here with us. Some people say, oh, they don't really care about you. I'm not th- talking about this church alone. I'm talking about the church generally. But that's not true. You need to come and see the volume of work that is to be done. And I bet you, if you are really staying interconnected... It is very unlikely that such a thing will happen to you. And if indeed it did happen to you, you will not take it that way. You will not take it the wrong way. The last thing I want to say is please be useful in the body. How are you going to become useful in the body of Christ? Study the word of God first of all. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Meditate upon God's word. Be strong. The Bible says that if your strength fails you in the day of adversity, your strength is small Indeed. We love that you're a Christian, but please be a strong Christian. Be a strong Christian. We need you to join us and pray. There's a lot of work to be done. Constantly fellowship with the Lord and build strength. Do something in the body of Christ. There's a lot to be done. We need people in the Austrian team. We need people to help us with follow-up. We need people in our music or worship team. Some gender balancing needed, seriously. Men, we need more men in the music ministry. We need more men in children's church. Yes. Do something, do something, be useful. Uh, Believe me, that seat won't miss you if you're standing and walking around. Constantly fellowship with God and build strength. Do something in the body, there's a lot to do. And then importantly as well, give proportionately. We love the service of your time and your labor, but we need that which God has placed in your hands. It is part of God's plan. It is part of being interconnected. So it's time for us to see the big picture. If you think that there's a missing piece in the puzzle, That big picture, that peace is probably you. Plug yourself back in. Love others and live a fruitful life. Let us pray. Hallelujah. I'd like you to talk to the Lord about what you have just heard. And ask him for grace. Ask him for forgiveness. And some of us listening to this via MP3s or some other media platform. You've been hurt by the body of Christ. You've been hurt by the church. You've probably done something that you didn't like. I don't know what it is, but this is not the time for us to be against each other. Ask the Lord to heal you. Ask the Lord to heal your heart. Let that root of bitterness, let that root of bitterness be uprooted from your heart.